scripture passage is 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel chapter 18. We will begin at verse 19 and read to verse 33. 2 Samuel 18, 19 to 33. Then Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You are not to carry news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall carry no news because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. Then Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, Come what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you will have no reward for the news? Come what may, he said, I will run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahimeaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw a man running alone. The watchman called out and told the king, and the king said, If he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he drew nearer and nearer. The watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gate and said, See, another man running alone. The king said, He also brings news. The watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and comes with good news. Then Ahimehaz cried out to the king, All is well. And he bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is it well with the young man Absalom? Ahimeaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I do not know what it was. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And behold, the Cushite came. And the Cushite said, Good news from my lord the king. For the Lord has delivered you up this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son My son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. O Absalom, my son, my son. May the Lord richly bless the reading and hearing of his word. We continue to make our way through the life of David. We've come to 2 Samuel 18, in which we behold a tragic event in the life of David. Indeed, the death of his son, his dear son, Absalom. I believe it was Shakespeare who said, Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. These are the words that come to us from Shakespeare in the mouth of King Henry IV. The king is, is finding it difficult that despite all of the luxuries and the conveniences of being a king, 
One of the things oftentimes that kings and queens are not afforded is just a good night's sleep. Shakespeare reminded us that this is something that often evades them. It often evades those who are in prominent positions of national leadership. For example, we see the president and we see the president uh, flying around the country and the world in the Air Force One. We see him chauffeured around in, in fine limousines. We see people gathered all around him ready to do his bidding at a moment's notice. We see all of the creaturely comforts that are afforded the president and men and women in such position. And we imagine to ourselves what it would be like to live in such a way. And yet what we don't see, beloved, is the stress. What we don't see is the anxiety. What we don't see are the long hours and the early mornings. What we don't see are the short nights and the lack of privacy. We don't see the worry and the anxiety. We don't see the constant criticism and, 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 the, and the weight that that has on a person. We, we don't understand the deep concern that you have for the safety of those who are closest to you. We see the glitter of the crown. But what we don't see is the difficulty of wearing it. David did. David knew how uneasy was the head to lie down that wears the crown. David knew, didn't he, as we've seen already, he knew the joys, he knew the triumphs of being a king. But he also knew, beloved, the, the deep sorrows and trials that come along with it. And I would submit to you this morning that nothing tried his soul more than his children. You know, when I was first saved and began to study the scriptures, I was a firm believer that, that those who are in prominent position of ministry, those who are pastors and elders and leaders and deacons and, and in, the, in the church in prominent positions, it was incumbent upon them and necessary. Indeed, it was a Permanent qualification that if they were going to stay in ministry and be faithful, then they must have faithful and believing kids. Or else they would be disqualified for the service of the Lord. Why are you laughing? Firmly believe that. And then years of studying the scriptures and Years of watching and knowing faithful people in the ministry and years of raising my own children. I began to see that my understanding of that scenario was not quite so accurate 
you begin to read in the Bible and you see that there are those who trusted God and yet their children didn't. Our very first parents, Adam and Eve, had as close a relationship with God as anyone has ever had, and yet their very firstborn was unbelief. Lot, who the Bible commends and calls righteous, yet had unrighteous children. Aaron, the very first high priest of Israel, the one appointed and called by God to lead the nation in worship and sacrifice, yet had wayward children. Eli, the high priest of Israel, the one whom God used to catechize and train, Samuel, he had unbelieving children. And David, the sweet singer of Israel, the one who gives us the, the Psalms, the one who the Bible says has a heart that is after God, the one who knew God as well as anyone in all of Israel, the one who was the exemplary king for the nation of Israel, God's chosen king. Yet and still had unfaithful children. I reminded this week of an article I, I read in Christianity Today a little while ago where John Piper talks about some of the most trying days in his ministry was when the church, Bethlehem Baptist Church, had to put his son out of the church for his disobedient and unbelieving lifestyle. I'm reminded, even in our text this morning, that indeed it is possible for faithful parents to have wayward children. And oh, the anxiety of it. All the sleepless nights and the worry and the concern and the prayers. In fact, I believe if that if you were to interview David this morning and ask him what was the highest and most joyful day in all his days of reigning in Israel, I am confident he would say to you the day that Absalom was born. He looked at that boy and he saw himself. A beautiful child, beautiful eyes and Lots of flowing hair. David looked at him and he saw the potential of the kingdom. David looked at him and he knew that there was born unto him one who would succeed him and reign in Israel. Righteousness, justice, and equity. How proud David must have been when he first beheld his son, Absalom. And if you were to ask David this morning, then what was your most difficult? What was your most distressful? What was the worst day in all of your reign in Israel? I'm quite kept. I am quite confident that he would say this morning was the day that I got news that Absalom died. It was that day. That I heard that Absalom 
die. For no trial, beloved, was ever so great to David than was the rebellion and the death of his son, Absalom. And this is what we see in our text this morning here in chapter 18. We'll lift out a few things for us this morning as we hope to see the impact that is on the life when there is a son who betrays. We see the sedition of a son. And that sedition of that son leads to the sorrow of its father. And yet through it all, I think the Lord will be gracious to us and he will point us to the mercy that we find only in Christ. The sedition of this son. Our text this morning indeed is a sad one. It is a sad ending to a rebellious life. For the rebellion of Absalom, as we have seen in the last couple of weeks, was a bitter pill for David. Of all of his sons, confident that Absalom reminded David of himself. He had such hope for Absalom. He had such promise. And this is why Absalom's sedition, Absalom's betrayal was such a bitter pill for David. And Absalom betrayed his, his father. He rebelled against his father. He rebelled against his authority. See that in, in chapter 15, verses 6 and, and 10. When he sought to undermine the authority of David as king and undermine David's word, he sought to steal the authority of his father, the king. As those who would come into Jerusalem to to get an audience with the king and for the king to judge their case, Absalom would intercept them. And he would judge them undermining the authority of his father. He rebelled against his father's authority, but not only did he rebel against his father's authority, he rebelled against his father's honor. And you see that in, in chapter 16 in verse 22, where he openly disrespected his father, and he not only undermined David's word, but he undermined David's integrity as he went into David's concubines in an open public. and explicitly disrespected his father in front of all Jerusalem. He openly showed little to no regard for his father, the king. He not only rebelled against his father's authority and his father's honor, but he ultimately rebelled against David's love. Chapter 13 of 2 Samuel and verse 39 and following, we see how much David loved Absalom. Even after Absalom had, had rebelled against David and even after Absalom had, had ran away from David and had mocked his father, David lovingly was willing to welcome him back, kiss him and give him 
all of all the luxuries that David could afford. David loved him like no other. And yet Absalom trampled underfoot the love and the grace that was his father, David, the king. Absalom's rebellion was inexplicable, beloved. And yet, as I think about it, and as we think about it this morning, I would submit to you that his rebellion actually points us back. Points us back to the rebellion of Adam and Eve. For all rebellion, beloved, against God has its roots in the rebellion, the cosmic rebellion of our first parents, Adam and Eve. All sin is rebellion. And therefore, it has its roots in the rebellion of our first parents, Adam and Eve. This week, if you've been paying attention to the news um, any at all, then you might have heard that recently a professional basketball player named Jason Collins came out to the public that he was, that he is, a homosexual, and that now he is living openly gay. It was big news, particularly in the sports arena, and therefore it was on all of the sports channels and all of the radio stations and, and in the newspapers, and they were on the, on the Internet, and they were discussing the issue. And someone asked a NBA reporter and... Um, Commentator on ESPN, a guy named Chris Broussard, who is a self-professing Christian. And they asked him his thoughts on Jason Collins coming out as openly homosexual. And Chris Broussard, not being um, vindictive or bombastic, not being arrogant, not being hateful, but said without quarters on national TV that homosexuality is rebellion against God. And then he went on to say that all sin is rebellion against God. And how right Chris Broussard is this morning as he reminds us that not only was, is Jason Collins living in open rebellion against God, so was Absalom. So was Adam and Eve. And so are you if you refuse to repent from your sin. Because all sin is rebellion against God. You see this in Adam and Eve, don't you? If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, I mean, it harkens back. It explains, it, it exemplifies the very things that Absalom did against David. For Adam and Eve rebelled. And how did they rebel? They rebelled against the authority of God. 
in Genesis chapter 3 and, and verse 1. The serpent undermined God's word when he says to Eve, did God actually say? And Adam and Eve joined in. Well, apparently, maybe God didn't say. And they openly joined in against the rebellion of God by rebelling against his authority. But not only did they rebel against his authority, they rebelled against the honor of God, too. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4. The serpent looks at Eve and says, well, you know, Eve, you shall not surely die. He's calling God a liar. Because God has told them on the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, you shall surely die. And the serpent says, no, God has lied to you. You will not die. And Adam and Eve joined in the rebellion believing that God had lied. They rebelled against God's authority. They rebelled against God's honor. And like Absalom to David, ultimately they rebelled against God's love. In verse 2, Eve, from the mouth of Eve herself, she said, God has given us freedom to eat of all these trees and the fruit of these trees that are in the garden. How good has God been? He has given you all things richly to enjoy. He has given you life. He has given you godliness. He has given you himself. And yet, and yet just like Absalom, Adam and Eve trampled underfoot. Because the serpent convinced them that God is not good. That God is not good. And beloved, they believed him. This is the nature of treason. This is the nature of cosmic rebellion. This is the nature of sedition against God. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 tells us, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe. But this is what sin does. This is how human beings rebel against God. What God says is good, human beings say is evil. And what God declares is evil, human beings declare that it's good. Over and over and over again, this is the nature of sin. And you know what happens? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The only reward for this rebellion is what? death. The only reward, the only payout for the wages of this sin is death. Why? Because rebellion against God always loses. 
Sin always loses. It has only one payout in the end. The Bible reminds us that payout. The only wage you ultimately get from sin is death. So it was with Absalom, wasn't it? His sedition, his rebellion led to his death. And it brought sorrow on his father. Oh, the sorrow of this father. By the time we get to chapter 18, you're familiar with the story at all. You know that David has fled from Jerusalem. He has fled from what he perceives is the threat of his son Absalom. He is in fear of Absalom and his forces. And so David has fled. But even in fleeing, as he is gathering his forces, David understands that the time is at his end. That something has to be done with Absalom. Absalom has to go. But still, but still, even though he he knows this, David hesitates. He hesitates to do harm to Absalom. Though Though Absalom would not hesitate for a moment to do harm to David. But David hesitates. Because his heart is heavy. And even though he knows that he must do battle with his rebellious son, David's heart is heavy. And you see in chapter 13, I mean chapter 18, as much as the chapter is about the death of Absalom, it's more about the sorrow of David. Oh, and David, his heart was heavy. It was sorrowful. He really doesn't know what to do. He sounds a man confused. But it's not so much confusion, beloved, as it is just grief. He's grieving over his son. And you see David's compassion. You see David's compassion. In verse 5 of chapter 18. So he has given his captains orders. They're about to go out and they are, they have gathered the forces and they're about to go out and they're going to fight with Absalom and seek to destroy Absalom and his armies. And David gives his captains only one command. He only gives them one command. He doesn't tell them, stand strong today. The Lord is going to deliver you. He doesn't tell them, be strong and mighty in the power of God. For the forces arrayed against us will not overcome us. For we have the power of God on our side. He doesn't say any of that. What does he say? He says, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. Deal gently for for my sake. You know, there's something in there. David says, spare my son. Spare him for my sake. You know, those words are, are, are soft. And they're carefully chosen. You hear him? 
You know, when you, when you tell somebody to deal gently, you don't speak harshly. When you say deal gently, you say it gently. And you can hear him. Y'all deal gently, please. For my sake. With Absalom. Spare him. I know, I know, he, he does not deserve mercy. He doesn't deserve mercy from me. He doesn't deserve mercy from you. But don't do it for his sake. Have mercy on this father. Have mercy on the king. And spare my son. Be pleased with him. Not for Absalom. But he pleased for himself. David hoped for the salvation of his son. And yet, his chief captain, Joab, knows that though Absalom is dear to David, Absalom has to be destroyed. He has to be destroyed. And when they get in the battle and they run down Absalom and they find Absalom hanging in a tree, vulnerable and defenseless, the soldiers who find Absalom are afraid to kill Absalom because they heard the pleas of David. And they come back to Joab and they say, we found Absalom. He's defenseless. And Absalom said, well, what did you do? Did you kill him? They said, of course not. We heard the king plead to be merciful, to be kind. Of course we did not kill him. And what does Joab say? Ain't nobody got time for that. That's what he said. Verse 14. What y'all talking about? Ain't nobody got time for that. Absalom has to go. And there he goes. And he runs him through with spears. And once he strikes Absalom, they all strike him and Absalom perishes that day. Beloved, Absalom was a cancer. He really was. And as one commentator has said, David wanted to treat the cancer with candy. And you don't treat cancer with candy. You don't, in other words, you don't negotiate with the devil. He's got to be cut off. That cancer has to be cut out. You don't negotiate with the devil, beloved. And some of you are doing it. I know you do it. And you can't negotiate with him. Oh, he's a smooth talker. He'll take you out to dinner and the movie at one moment, and he'll have you lying up in bed in the next, and you'll wonder, how did that happen? Because you spent time negotiating with him. You can't negotiate with the devil. I've seen him. 
He don't just come in a blue dress. He come in a red one. He'll even wear a white one. He's smooth talking. Smells good. He ain't got horns. He's got a fancy car. He's got a nice house. He's got plenty of money to spend. I'm telling you now. You negotiate with him. He'll kill you. He'll take everything that's precious to you. And she'll leave you with nothing. Not your dignity. Will not leave you with anything. Not your money. Won't leave you with anything. And go on to the next one. Joab knew that. It already happened to David, didn't it? And he said, we are not bringing Absalom back into Jerusalem. I'm tired of negotiating with the devil. The cancer has to be cut out. And he kills him. And he kills him. And yet even in killing him, Joab knows that David's heart is not eager to get this news, and he is not eager to give this news to David. And yet there are those around him who want to give the news right away, and they want to run to David and get the news right away, and Joab says, no, you're not going to give him this news. And yet they insist, and so Joab relents. As he knows, sooner or later. David has got to get the news. And you not only see David's compassion, but you see this deep concern that David has. But David is not only looking for news from the war. Really, that's not his big concern, is it? He wants to know about Absalom. Can you imagine that he has stayed up all these nights, walking the floor, waiting to hear how it has gone with Absalom? He's not concerned about how many soldiers he's lost. He's not concerned about how many wounded are coming back from the front lines. He's only got one concern on his mind. How's it going with Absalom? How's it going with Absalom? And so the reports come running. The, the reporters come, come running to David. And as they come running to David and they give David the reports that all things are well. We have won. We have overcome our enemy. What's the only thing David says? Is it well with the young man Absalom? Is it well with Absalom? Where's my son? With every report, he asks the question, is he safe? Is he all right? Is he well? Because he's anxious. He's hoping. He's convinced himself that maybe this time is going to be different. Maybe this time Absalom is going to get the message, and this time Absalom is going to turn around. Maybe this time. David's hoping against hope, isn't he? 
Someone said that it makes no sense to hope against hope except for it makes you to feel better. There was no hope. Absalom is gone. And when David gets the word, when David gets the word, you see, that his compassion and his concern turns to grief. And oh, how he grieved. Back verse 33 tells us that he was visibly shaken when the news came to him that Absalom had fallen. It says, and the king was deeply moved, and he went up into the chamber over the gate, and he wept. He wept. He was physically shaken. He grieved over Absalom, beloved, more than he grieved over Jonathan. He grieved over Absalom more than he grieved over the child that he lost with Bathsheba. This grieved him terribly. For Absalom, you see, had been afforded to him every luxury. Anything that anyone could want, Absalom had. Born into a royal family, heir to the throne of Israel. Beloved in the eyes of his father, King David. Absalom had every advantage in the world. And David longed for his return. He longed for Absalom's return. But Absalom was wayward. He was wandering far from the flock of Israel, far from his father David. And he longed for Absalom's return. But he not only longed for his return, he longed for Absalom's repentance. Yeah. We held out hope that the hard heart of his son would somehow, some way, be softened, even if not by the kindness that David was willing to show him. So he longed for his return. He longed for his repentance. David longed. Absalom redemption. That's what he desired above all. That's what he told the men. Save my son. He longed for Absalom to be saved more than he desired anything. David desired that Absalom would be saved. Even to the point, he said, that if I could, I would die in your place. Verse 33, oh, my son, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I have died instead of 
Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Do you hear the grief? Do you hear the passion? Do you hear the sorrow? Do you, can you hear the longing? You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Jesus. On the eve of his, of his going into Jerusalem for that fateful week in which he would be crucified, he stood outside of Jerusalem and he looked out over the city. And just as David grieved over Absalom, Jesus grieved over Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, do you hear the passion? Do you hear the longing? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children as a hen gathers her brood? Do you hear the longing? How often I would have gathered your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But like Absalom, you would not. You would not. You know something like Absalom, Jerusalem had every advantage that could be afforded a people. Jerusalem, the city of God. The city where God declared that he would be in the midst of. The city set on a hill. The place of the temple, the home of the prophets, the city of God, the beloved city of Christ. It had every advantage. Therefore, Christ, like David, longed for Jerusalem's return. He pleaded every time he went to Jerusalem, he preached. And he pleaded with Jerusalem and the nation of Israel to return to God, to come again back to God. Because he came, the Bible says, first for his own. And he came pleading for Israel. He came pleading for Jerusalem to return back to God. But he not only longed for her return, he longed for her repentance, didn't he? For the rebellion of Jerusalem and the Jewish people was heaven. Like Absalom, they had squandered all of their blessings. They had killed the prophets. They had stoned the messengers of God. Their sin and rebellion was evident. Here's Jesus pleading, O Jerusalem, repent, turn from your rebellion, and see if I won't gather you 
like a hen gathers her chicks. He longed for her return. He longed for her repentance because he longed for her redemption. That's what he wanted. For this is his heart's desire that she would be saved. He desired to save Jerusalem. Here is the sovereign son of God standing at the gates of this beloved city, pleading with her, come to me, come to me and be saved. In fact, it says, I have come to pursue you even unto death. I have come this day to die for you. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, would you not return? Would you not repent? Would you not come? And be redeemed. Beloved, do you not hear then in the words of David the mercy of Christ? Do you not hear the mercy of God in it all? Do you not hear the mercy and grace of God to you and me this morning? For understand what Absalom did not do and what Jerusalem refused to do, God and Christ is calling each of us to do this morning. Come to him. Return to him. Repent of your sin. And know and know and know that you can be reconciled to God. It was too late for Absalom. It was too late for Jerusalem. It's not too late for you. It's not too late. It's not too late. You can hear Hear Jesus this morning pleading for your salvation. Hear Jesus this morning longing for your redemption. Oh, sinner, come home. Come home. Oh, poor sinner, come home. There is David. He's longing for Absalom to come home, is he not? Like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. He's there. And he's there longing for his son to return. And alas, his son does not. Do you know, here is Christ this morning. Like the father and the prodigal son. Same to you and to me. No matter where you are, no matter where you have been, you can come home. Come home. Now, come home. Don't wait another moment. You can come home. You can bow your head in repentance and return to the Father and be reconciled. Come home. Right now. Because now is the time. And today is the day. Jesus 
is calling. Oh, poor sinner. Come home. You know what he has done? He has done for us what David could not do for Absalom. David wanted to save Absalom. And God knows he tried. God knows he tried. But he couldn't. Even giving his own life would not have saved. But you know what? Jesus has given his life and he can and will save all who come unto him. You just come. Come this morning and know that all your sins are forgiven. You just come. And why won't you come? Why? There he is. He's pleading. He's calling. Then why won't you come? Will you come? All you have to do is come. Poor sinner. Come home. Today, it's not too late. You can come home. And find an entry in your Savior Christ. He died for you, even unto the point of death himself. All you have to do is come. Let us bow our heads in prayer.